We are going to be in 1 Corinthians 15, if you want to turn there. And as you make your way there, uh, you don't have to turn there. Um, we'll have the verses on the screen to kind of help out a little bit. And well, I want to take a minute and just welcome you here uh, to Living Hope Fellowship in Sherwood. This is the second Easter where we've operated under that title. And uh, the two churches came together about, uh, about a little over a year ago now. And uh, we're kind of... Finally getting in a groove, it feels like, and uh, all that kind of stuff. So I know we have a lot of you that are here with us today, uh, some of you from out of town, some of you from around town, that kind of stuff. Uh, I know that it's it's always strange to go to a church that you're not familiar with. You know, you don't know where to go, you don't know where to sit, you don't know the songs, you don't know the customs, you don't know whatever. And so those of you here in town, we just, we'll just keep coming back and you'll, you'll catch on. It'll be fine. We will always welcome you here and that kind of stuff. And, you know, we didn't, we didn't always know that either. We've been learning a lot over the last uh, year or year and a half together, figuring this out as we go, trying to learn how to, uh, how to be the people of God to one another and to be the people of God to this uh, surrounding community here. And uh, really what we're talking about today, though, like this is the this is the key. Like this is, this is it. You know, this is the, this is the big, the big day where we are together. And, uh, it's not to say the other days don't matter, but this is one where everything kind of hinges on some stuff. Uh, you know, Christians, we get, we get made fun of a good bit. Uh, I don't know if you've caught on to that, but, uh, the, people like to make fun of us. Um, and especially like, especially like Southern Christians, that kind of stuff. We get teased a good bit. A lot of uh, entertainment industry, those kind of things. A lot of, uh, a lot of the like high intellectual types in our world tend to look at Christianity and kind of laugh at us. And, and some of that is because they're looking, they're really looking at the church and granted the church sometimes isn't maybe like the most awesome bride ever, you know, uh, the church, uh, we, we certainly have our issues. We certainly have things that we're we're working through. Um, that's what is, it's hard to help everyone understand that, that Christians, like we are a work in progress. Amen? No, just me? Okay, I'm a work in progress. No, like we are, we are it, it is like slow and steady transformation. It's not this one big thing. And uh, some of us have been in that transformation prog- process for a long time, and it's, it is bearing a lot of fruit. Some, some of us are younger in that process and maybe the struggle is a little bit harder. And, um, you know, that's a part of the message that it's hard to tell, you know, everyone is like, yeah, you don't just immediately turn over this new leaf and your whole life is different. It's, it's transformation where Jesus is the only one that can get the credit for it. You know, people, they can't look at you and say, oh, it's just like, he's on a camp high, you know, he went to youth camp and he's all different. He'll be the same in a week, you know. Um, what, what Jesus has in mind is this slow, steady transformation. And so some of what, uh, we get a hard time uh, about is, is some church related stuff, but also like, if you look at what we believe, there's some like really unique beliefs, right? Like we gather together and we sing songs about blood <laughs> and that like that is strange to someone who doesn't know what we're talking about. Uh, there are times when, even when you do know what we're talking about, it's like, man, that whole song was about blood. Uh, that's a little bit you know, different. There are some things that we do that are different. But the resurrection is the most out there one, I think. Like, that's the, that is the big one. And 
the resurrection from the dead is something that is a struggle for a lot of people. And here's the thing about it, is the, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, uh, everything hinges on that being a, like a true thing that happened. Everything that we believe is contingent on that actually have, have happened, you know? If that has not, if that didn't happen, then we were wasting our time. And the church in Corinth had a real struggle with that. They were confused about it a little bit. Some, some were confused about the resurrection of Jesus in general. Others, they weren't confused about that, but, but this idea that we too will, will be raised in new life to live with him forever, uh, that was really confusing. And um, it was just kind of becoming this divisive thing and the truth was getting blurred. And so Paul writes this letter uh, addressing a number of things to this congregation that's struggling. And he's addressing different things. And in chapter 15, he gets to this idea of resurrection. And as he unpacks it, there's some important things for us to grab onto for this morning. So let's read it. We're starting in verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Okay? Sit, pause right there. That... Like that, those are the, those are the, the big components that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried and that he was raised to, to life again on the third day. All of that, according to what the Bible already said was going to happen. So when he's referencing the scriptures, he's talking about the old Testament. He's not talking about the new Testament. So in the old Testament, God predicted all of these things. Then Jesus walked around in his ministry and at various points he would say, these things are going to happen. And then they actually happened. That is, those are the tenets of what we're talking about today. Those components. Um, and everything hinges on that actually have, like being a real thing that happened. All right? Verse 5. And that he appeared to Cephas, which is, Pete, that's Peter. Um, then to the twelve. Okay, so the twelve disciples. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. So here's, the, here's what he is trying to communicate to them, is that the, Jesus had multiple eyewitnesses after his resurrection. Some of them have name, like he names here. Some of them are just lumped in with the 12 or the apostles. But then he's like, and there was like 500 people there at one point. So 500 plus eyewitnesses to a man who was tortured and murdered in front of them, hung on the cross for three more hours. They stab him in the side, blood and water come out, which medical doctors will say, yeah, that means that you're dead. Um, and Rome, like they, they would have not messed this up. And then they took him down. They prepared his body for burial. They wrapped him. They did all the things. And they put him in a tomb. Like all that happened on a Friday. And then on Sunday, the tomb was empty. Jesus begins to appear to different people. And by the, by the time it's said and done, he's 40 days more with them. And there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of eyewitnesses. Now, that'll hold up in court. Like that, that level of eyewitness account will hold up in court. There, there are historical accounts of uh, people being crucified, being 
killed in different ways, tortured, to try to confess that there was some sort of conspiracy, you know, to confess, yeah, we snuck in and stole the body, or we, we did this, or, or we found a guy that looks a lot like Jesus, and we kind of trained him, you know, there's all this effort to be made, to put, all this effort made into trying to disprove the fact that this was a historical event that happened, and they really can't do it. And he's even saying now, look, there's 500 witnesses. Some of them have died, but a lot of them are still alive. Go ask them yourself. They'll tell you. And so what this does is this builds a case that really cannot be refuted to say that the resurrection is an historical event. It is a fact. It is not one that makes sense. It is one that a lot of people have spent a lot of energy trying to disprove. And you can get on the internet and you can find really convincing arguments by really, really smart people. Uh, but what they cannot do is discount that many eyewitnesses. And there's no body to be, no like dead body to prove otherwise. Um, so all that to say, we have a really good case to look at what has happened and to say, I believe even though this is a very unbelievable thing, I believe that it happened. I think it takes more faith to think that, that there was a conspiracy than it does that there are hundreds of witnesses who are willing to be put to death in order to bury some sort of secret. Come on. So uh, it all hinges on this actually happening. And so Paul begins by saying, here's every reason why you can base your entire life on this being a real thing. That you're not just grasping at straws. You're not following some sort of lie. This is a real thing. So, if it did happen, and it did, what does this, what does this mean for us? What, are, what is the significance? So he's trying to help, them, help this congregation think correctly about the resurrection. And he tells some pretty amazing stuff. We're going to skip verses 9 through 11, not because they're irrelevant, but they kind of don't really help today, and I want to stay at the same time. So let's get to verse 12. It says, Now if Christ is proclaimed and raised from the dead... How can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it's true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, even Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. And then verse 20, but if, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So notice that, that Paul uses, he uses a kind of a, a negative argument to talk about it. He's saying, if, there, if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, then that means this. And so what I'd like to do is, is look at, at, at those few components, look at how he states it negatively and flip it and state it positively and see what God wants to say to us this morning. So look at verse 14. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We're found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise. It was true that the dead are not raised. So here's a, here's a summation. He's saying, if Christ has not been raised, then our, our preaching and your faith are both in vain. 
and we are misrepresenting God. So in other words, without the resurrection, any sort of teaching, any sort of preaching, any sort of uh, you're gathered as a community group, you're gathered as a family to study the Bible, you're, you're reading the Bible for yourself, anything like that is completely empty. And you're placing your faith in something that is completely empty. And those who are teaching it to you are basically charlatans. Um, I, I want to say a reference that only some of you are going to understand. If I say, if I mention the professor Harold Hill, do you know what I'm talking about? I know my parents know who you're talking about. Professor Harold Hill? River City? The band program? No? All right. So there's this musical called The Music Man. You should all watch it. The Music Man is, is about this con artist who goes from town to town. He goes into the town. He, ch- he finds a way to convince them that their, their young people are in desperate trouble. And the only way to keep them from a pathway of uh, complete debauchery is to start a, a, a band program. So he goes into this town called River City, and he, he finds that there's, there's like this pool hall, this billiard hall, right, where everyone's like shooting pool, and he's like, that's what it is. So he convinces all the adults that, that shooting pool is going to lead to the worst possible future for your kids. However, if you put a trombone in their hands, or a flute, or a clarinet, and you put a band uniform on them, then that's the path to like goodness and wholeness. And all the parents begin to buy into it, and so he, he collects all this money from them to order these instruments, and these uniforms, and all this kind of stuff. He starts giving less lessons and he he like, gets them together but instead of like actually playing the instruments he just wants them to sit there and to think about beautiful music just think about it and so the kids come and they think a little bit and then they go home and then after a while the parents start to catch on they're like man our kids are they aren't really learning anything long story short not to spoil this movie for you but it turns out he knows nothing about music nothing about band nothing about anything other than how to hustle people and con them into getting their money. And once he has all their money, he gets on a train, goes to the next town, does this, runs the same con again. What Paul is, is saying here is that if Jesus is not raised from the dead, then uh, in this situation, I would be the con man. I would be the Professor Harold Hill convincing you of something that isn't true, hustling you, trying to get all this stuff out of you in order to get money, in order to just kind of have this sort of like, thing that we have all built on a lie that I know is not true, but you're convinced of it. So I'm the con man, you're the suckers. That's what Paul is saying. And so I'm the con man, so our preaching and teaching is in vain. He says, and, and that means that your faith, you're putting your faith into something that's empty. Everything is empty and you're misrepresenting God if Jesus is not raised from the dead. So flip that around. Since Jesus has been raised from the dead, guess what? None of this is in vain. None of this is, is, uh, is, is built on some sort of lie or some sort of con that you're trying to, to be, to be like, suckered into. Everything that we are doing is built on this historical fact that Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again for our sins according to the scriptures. It's all true and believable. And here's why I think that's important, is that sometimes it's, it's, you kind of feel crazy as a Christian. You know, sometimes you're just like, you know, we're, we're living by faith and not by sight. That's what we're told to do in the scriptures, but yet the world, our world around us is the opposite, you know. 
And so sometimes, you know, you're looking around and, you know, maybe you feel distant from God or you look at what's going on in the world and, and then you start to, to kind of objectively look and, and maybe, or maybe you get in a conversation with someone and they're like, I just made a list here. Maybe people are like, what, you actually believe the Bible? You pray and you wait for God to lead your life? You actually care for poor people and the marginalized? Wait, you give 10% of your income to your church? You fast and pray during Lent? You want, wait, you want less stuff, not, not more stuff? You, you create margin in your life so you can be generous with your time and your, your money and with the things you're good at? You, are you telling me you, you're going to forgive that person for what they did to you? You mean you confessed that like indiscretion to your spouse, to your friends, to your community group? What do you mean you lift your hands and you sing to God at church? What do you mean you're trying to imitate Christ? What do you... What do you mean you think your marriage is supposed to look like Jesus in the church? What do you mean you parent based on God's example? What do you, you really believe all that Jesus stuff? Whether someone says it to you or that kind of inner voice sometimes makes you question it, there are times when all of us look at what we're doing and we're like, man, this is weird, right? It's only weird because it's countercultural, first of all. It's, a, it's, it's against what culture is doing. But what Paul offers us is a, is, a, is a compass, basically. It's like when you begin to question what you're doing, like the, your, your faith and the practices of the church and, and all the things that we're doing together, when you begin into in question, what is, what is true north? You, you take out your Bible and you read about the resurrection of Jesus. And because he is alive, all of those things are not empty. They are actually full and overflowing. You are placing your faith in the right place. You are putting yourself to the right practices. You are following in the right footsteps of the right rabbi who's going to change your life little by little by little. So don't give up just because it seems strange sometimes. Or maybe it seems inefficient. Or maybe, maybe, maybe just, the, just the, the quote-unquote drama of like church sometimes can just be too much. Because he's alive, we keep going. Keep going. Let that encourage you and spur you on. We really can trust the Bible. We really can trust God. We really can trust God's leadership of his church. We really can trust each other because Christ in me is the hope of glory. You can trust Christ in me. You may not trust me all the time, but you can trust Christ in me. So the resurrection validates what we're doing, what we believe, and what we put our hands to. And so... That's one thing that, 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 one way that resurrection impacts us immediately is to encourage us to keep going. We good? Move on to the next one? All right. Just checking. Look at verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're, you're still in your sins. Okay? So, if Christ has not been raised, your faith, like futility is, what that word means is, is worthless. First time he talks about your faith being in vain, it means it's empty. This time this means that there's a worthlessness to your faith because you're still in your sins. In other words, if, if Jesus has not been raised, then uh, you like sitting here singing about his sacrifice on the cross is completely, it has no worth and no value 
If Jesus had not been raised, then Good Friday is the end of the, is the end of the of the story. You know, it always it, it it's interesting to me how we don't like Good Friday. You know, we want to skip to Sunday really really badly. You know, it's Friday, but hey, it's okay. Sunday's gonna be great. It's be fun. You know, and the, here on Good Friday, we're like, hey, let's let's not skip forward to Sunday just late. Let's sit in the fact that this is a really difficult day because our first love was murdered for our sins. Um, that makes it a bad Friday. And we want to skip to Sunday. What Paul is saying is if Jesus is not raised from the dead, then your story ends on Friday. And who wants to put faith in a dead Savior? A dead Savior cannot save. A dead Savior is just in a tomb somewhere. You can gather around that shrine, you can pray all you want, but if he's dead, he's dead. He ain't helping you. That's what Paul is getting at. So the resurrection is, it's God the Father's stamp of approval on Jesus' sacrifice. So he sang a a song a a little while ago, he kept saying, it is finished, it is finished, it is finished. That was one of Jesus' last phrases before he died. So Jesus says it's finished, and the Father agrees with him by raising him from the dead. So the Son lays his life down. The Father raises him back up. The Son says, it's finished. The Father says, yes, it is. The Son says, it's finished. There's, there's nothing left to atone for. And the Father says, you're right. I'm going to raise you up. So we have to look at the resurrection as, as the Father's stamp of approval on the sacrifice of, the, of his Son. In Romans 4... Uh, same author, but a different letter to a different church. This is how Paul says it in Romans 4. It says it will, this is verse 24, a couple words in. It says, It will be counted to us who believe in him, who, him who raised Jesus from, sorry, getting ahead of myself. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So the Bible is basically saying um, that if you question your forgiveness, the resurrection is proof that you have been forgiven of whatever it is that you have done. Every single bit of it. This historical fact, again, gives us a true north. He gives us a compass for those times when we wonder... Am I really forgiven? Am I really in like correct standing with God? Am I really his son, his daughter? Have I really been adopted? Have I, have I really gone from being a sinner to being a saint? Am I, am I really all of the things that he says I am? Look at me. Because Jesus is alive, the answer to those things is yes. Every single one of them. If he's not been raised from the dead, then you are still in your sins. So because he has been raised from the dead, you who place your faith in him are no longer in your sins. You are forgiven across the board, every single bit of it. The resurrection means we can stand confident in our forgiveness and claim all that status I just talked about. So on those days when you doubt it, 
Those days when you wonder, those days when there are lies coming your way about how terrible you are and how you're probably not really a Christian at all because no Christian would have done that or said that. Or, you know, you have all those things coming your way. You know, if you know you have placed your faith in Christ, the fact that he is alive uh, silences those lies and puts them in the right category, puts them in the garbage can. So that's the second big thing. Third thing, we good? Keep going? Okay. Third thing, then, this is verse 18. Then those who've fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So, to summarize it, if Christ has not been raised, then those uh, who have fallen asleep in Christ, which is, that is a phrasing to mean like those who have died, those who uh, place their faith in Christ and have passed away. So those are Christians who, uh, who, are, who have passed away. If Christ has not been raised, then Christians who have died, they have actually perished. And we should feel terrible for them because they believed such a ridiculous lie. They died in faith, believing that they would go on to be with God, and yet that's just the end for them. It says, if, if this life is all we have hope for, then we're to be pitied. So the scriptures speak of life in, in, in two senses. There's, there's the life that we live on earth in these bodies that are, uh, they are, gro- they are, with every second, these bodies are growing older, and they are, they are breaking down. Like all of us at some point will, like these bodies will, uh, will bring us to the grave. Either something acts on the outside or something from the inside, but all of us, like that is going to happen. And uh, so the Bible speaks of that life, but then also the fact that God created us to live forever. So there's life in this body, but then, there, but then there's the life where your soul continues on. And so the scriptures speak of both, both of those lives. There's now and then there's, like, there's e- eternal life. And so verse 19, when he says, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are to be pitied. Um, he's highlighting the fact that, like what a sad existence. If we just stack all of our chips, so to speak, in, in this thing being true, and yet Jesus wasn't raised, which means we won't be raised. We're foolish. I've, I've, I've been places where, like in different parts of the world, and watched, um, you know, watched idol worship. Been to, to Calcutta several times and gone to uh, the, there's a Hindu temple there called Kali Temple. And um, just people, there's just a p- pilgrimage from all over India. People come there all the time and, and so you're walking through and you're watching them make all these prayers to these statues. And they go into this big building where there's this big, big statue there. And they're, they're, they're crying and they're begging. And they're just calling out to this carved thing, you know. And I, and I can't say that, that it's, a, uh, it's a happy place to be. At first, you're kind of like, whoa, that's very different. And then you start to realize, like, they're placing their faith in this completely empty, dead, worthless thing. 
Paul saying, if Jesus hasn't raised from the dead, then we're the same way. We're just doing it differently. I caught a uh, part of the movie uh, Gran Torino the other day, and uh, it's this really gruff Clint Eastwood character. You know, uh, of course they're all gruff if he's playing it right. And this priest comes by to check on him because his wife has just passed away, and he uh, he basically tells him he says the problem is I think you're an overeducated 27 year old who holds the hands of superstitious old women and promises them eternity. And as soon as I heard it, I was like, well, if Jesus hadn't raised from the dead, he'd be spot on. We're just lying to each other, convincing them that there's this eternal life when there really isn't. If Jesus hadn't raised from the dead. But verse 20, he says something that, to me that's very interesting. In verse 20, he says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, those who passed away. Here's, here's what that's referencing. The... Whenever the crops would come in and those kinds of things, they would, they would tithe on the crops, just like we do on money. And so the first bit that would come in, they would, would offer that to God as an offering. It was called the first fruits. It was literally the first fruits of the harvest. And what they were saying is we're, they would bring this before God and they would burn it so they wouldn't be able to use it. And they would say, this is just the first of what is to come behind. We, we believe, God, that you've provided this, all these crops and so we believe that this is just the first. There's more to follow. It's like a, like a down payment on a house. You're telling the bank, uh, I'm going to put this much on a house or this much on a car, and there's more, there's more to follow. Saying Jesus was the first fruits of people who got up out of a grave and walked out of it. He's the first one to clear out the cemetery. But there's more to follow. That there is going to be a resurrection of the dead. And I know in a, in a world where we're fascinated with zombies and all those kind of things, that kind of might seem strange to us. But what, what Jesus tells us, though, is that um, he has gone to prepare a place for us. When he comes back, there will be a, a reuniting of the body and the soul. And so when you die, your soul goes to be with God. Your body goes to the ground. And so... Those who have gone ahead of us are not, they're not walking the streets of gold. They don't have bodies. They're there, they're with, they're, they're whole, they're with God, but they're there, bodies in the ground. And somehow, when Jesus comes back, those will, will be reunited and there will be this new body that you put on. So it isn't some sort of like World War Z, weird apocalyptic thing or whatever. It's like this like beautiful moment, not this crazy one, right? And Jesus, if it happened to Jesus, it happens to us. And so when Jesus was reunited, his spirit and his body, that's what will happen with us. He's the first fruits of more things to come. In Leviticus 23, Moses tells, uh, tells them that the day after the, day after the Passover, um, the, the Sabbath of the Passover, you are to bring the first fruit offering. That would be the Sunday. So... Friday night begins the, the uh, well, Passover meal Thursday. Friday night is the Sabbath. So after the Sabbath of the Passover, on that Sunday, you bring the first fruit offering to the priests. Jesus, today, was the first fruit offering to God of the, of the beginning of this full resurrection of all of God's people one day. And tell me God doesn't know what he's doing when he's writing a book. So without the resurrection, 
This life is all we have. So you better buy what you're going to buy. You better do what you're going to do. You better live life to the fullest because when you die, there's nothing left. But since he has been raised from the dead, validating the scriptures, then we believe that when he does come back and there is that reunion, he's recreating the earth, making it all new, and we will enjoy him and one another forever. So, you know, there's like things you're like, man, it sure would be nice to have a lot of money so I could travel. I'd love to see the Swiss Alps. I'm like, okay, you're going to have a whole eternity. You could walk to the Swiss Alps and they're going to look better than they do now. So, you know, just get ready. There's, there is an eternity ahead of us with all these kinds of things. This life is not all that there is. But it's easy to get hung up in there and kind of panic. There are a lot of people, especially in America, who live as if this is all there is. You better make all the money you can. You better do everything you can. You better just live it up. When God says, yeah, this is just a drop in the bucket, though. You know? So make this count for something important. Because since Jesus is alive, you too will be alive forever. We live by faith. We die in faith. So those who... Those in Christ that we love, that have gone on to be with the Lord, you can believe with all your heart that you will see them again. Because Jesus is just the first fruit. And so when you think about those, those grandparents and parents and siblings and friends and children and all the ones who have gone ahead of us, the reason why we can grieve with hope is because Jesus is alive. And he's keeping them alive. And he's keeping you alive. And even when we take communion, there's this, there's this strange like, connection between that eternal life and our present life. Or the same, the same Jesus that's keeping us, uh, is keeping us, is keeping them. And so the resurrection of Jesus is not just his resurrection. It's also a lot about our resurrection too. So let me summarize as I close. If Jesus was still dead, we would be a bunch of suckers who are falling for a con. Our sins would be still unforgiven and we would have no hope in this life or of anything to come. That would be our reality if he was still in the grave. But there's this historical fact that he raised, was raised from the grave. And hundreds of witnesses saw it. And we have every reason to believe it. And so here's what is true about us. Because he is alive, with faith rightly placed in him alone, we are forgiven. And we're on the pathway to life with him and one another now and forever. So here we are, forgiven, life together with God, with each other, through this life and into eternity because he lives. Because the story didn't end on Friday. Friday was terrible. Saturday would have been very confusing for them and Sunday would have blown their minds. So if you actively walk with Jesus right now, I hope this has been an encouraging thing to you. I hope that it's been validating for you. I hope that it has done what Paul wanted to happen here, which is to give a, a true north, put a compass in your hand, and let, let, remind you of what is true and what is stable. If you used to walk with Jesus, 
but maybe haven't been lately. I hope that you have heard him welcoming you back home through the words of the scriptures and the songs and hopefully my words as well. And if you've never walked with Jesus, today could be the day. This is the most important relationship you'll ever have. The resurrection of Jesus is proof of all of it. And as he invites us into his life, let's just keep saying yes to him, okay? All right, let me pray for us. Father, I'm thankful for this, um, just for your sovereignty and making sure that we had this letter to this church and for Paul's heart for them and his love for you and the fact that he was a, like he was an eyewitness. So he's not writing based on something that he heard. He's writing from this first person perspective and we get to be the beneficiaries of that. And it is a struggle, God, for us, especially when we get in our head too much to think about resurrection from the dead because death is the most permanent thing we can possibly think of. It's so irreversible. And yet your power is on full display when you remind us that you're the one that really controls all of that. That you get the final word. And so I pray, Father, that this this message and this time together this morning that It does everything that you want it to do in our hearts as individuals and as a group. I'm thankful for your your provision. We thank you that it didn't end on Friday and that we we can bank on that. We can build our lives on it. We love you. Pray this in your name. Amen. So let me explain explain a little bit of kind of how we do this part of the service. Um, we kind of, we feel like everybody's personalities are different. And so, uh, you may be feeling different things around the room. And so we want to give you different options as to how you can respond to it. One response is to just wait till the service is over. You know, you can wait it out and the service will be over at some point. So be fine. Um, that is an option. You can do nothing with it. Um, but we want to give you some options, some other options if you feel led to respond. Uh, one thing is that we're going to stand and we're going to sing. And so there's something about Easter Sunday that it kind of puts a song in, in your heart no matter what. So we're going to sing. Uh, that's an option. You can come and you can pray with, uh, with, with someone around you. You can come by yourself. We got some of our uh, ministers on the front row who would pray with you, especially if you are like, yeah, I've, I've really never started following Jesus in the first place. Or if you just have questions about that, they would love to pray with you for that. You can come kneel on these steps. You can stay where you are and pray, whatever you want to do. Um, and then we have two communion lines uh, this morning. This is, uh, this is the kind of communion where you, you take the bread yourself and you dip it in the juice and you take it right there. And they're going to say, the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ poured out for you as you do that. And they're going to say that over and over and over. And it's this, this reminder of the significance of this meal, that Jesus did this for you, for us. And as we take that into us, it's a reminder that, that Christ in us is the hope of glory. It's, there's a special grace 
that exists that we live in. That Don't think of it as these folks serving you communion. Think of it as Jesus standing on one side of a table saying, here's my body and blood. Do you want it? And you say, yes, I do. So you can do one of those things or all those things, but just know people are going to be moving around the room a little bit. They may need to slide by you. And it's just kind of, it's like a family time where it's just, it's okay. This is what, this is what we do. So you can sing, you can pray, you can receive communion, you can do all those things or none of those things. But we're going to spend the last few moments together just responding to whatever may be stirring in your heart and in whatever way connects with you the most. So let's stand together. Our communion lines are open and we'll sing a little bit and then we'll be dismissed.